0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. When one door closes, another opens. Isn't that right? That's what you get told whenever you failed an exam or haven't got a job. Isn't that right? It always comes out whenever your plan hasn't gone to plan. When one door closes, another one opens. And of course, there's lots of wise sayings about doors, isn't there? So we can, on the way out today, can look on the exit as being an entrance to somewhere else. Or maybe Alexander Graham Bell, he should have just stuck to the telephone, said, when one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long and hard and so regrettably upon the closed door that we do not see the door that is open for us. Or when a door closes, you have two choices, give up or keep going. The great loss of our age, Rihanna. So-called wise door sayings. As we come to Luke 13, how about this for a wise door saying? Enter through Jesus the narrow door, because he saves forevermore. How about that one? Enter through Jesus the narrow door, because he saves forevermore. And that is the thrust of what Jesus is getting at here in Luke 13. Jesus, Luke, it tells us again that he is traveling to jerusalem teaching on his way where is jesus going to in jerusalem the cross that's where all this is leading to and everywhere jesus goes he gathers a crowd of people and well let's look at what's happened in luke 13 the bits that we missed out in verse 13 of luke 13 jesus has healed a woman on the sabbath the scandal and he tells them why and there's outcry among the pharisees and they attempt to challenge jesus but jesus leaves and speaks to us because in verse 13 look at what the people think. When Jesus said all this, all his opponents, the Pharisees and so on, were humiliated. But the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So the people who looked up to the Pharisees, etc., they're now looking to Jesus, and the Pharisees are humiliated. Jesus is building up uh, momentum, as it were, these Pharisees against him. The more he teaches, the more he does, that is why he ends up on the cross. And Jesus continues in his message throughout the Gospels to be challenging. Sometimes it's really difficult to swallow. And what we see in the parable presented to us is another example of Jesus actively challenging people. Here we have an extremely conservative culture, many law-abiding citizens, and Jesus has asked the question, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Now, that quite well could have been a loaded question. You know, one of those ones where you ask and you're hoping to get the answer that you want to hear? That's maybe what's going on here, because for the Jews, many of them thought that they were going to be saved. They are the few, with a few exceptions, like Rahab and Ruth, but it's going to be them. A few unrighteous Jews, yeah, uh, might be, uh, would be excluded, but, uh, and Gentiles would be excluded, but for them, they'd be safe. Because why will they have a God who has shown favor to them throughout the years? from taking them out of Egypt to the prophets in the temple. God's been with them, and God will continue to be with them. And so whenever he asks, are a few going to be saved? He's asking, is it going to be us? Is it just going to be us? That's what the Jews thought. That's what the Jews wanted. They assumed it was their God-given right to have this salvation. Now, maybe it is genuine. Maybe it's not. But as ever, Jesus not just answers the question but he uses it as a teaching opportunity, doesn't he, to challenge us and to help us and to tell us. And what is it that Jesus tells us? He tells us to strive to enter through the door. Make every effort or strive to enter through the door. So who is this narrow door? We've thought about this already. It's Jesus. So Jesus is talking about himself. And he does this throughout scripture quite often, doesn't he? We think in the In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a broad gate and a narrow gate. He's the narrow gate. In John 10, that wonderful chapter of Jesus being the good shepherd, he is the door for the sheep or the gate of the sheep. Or another instance that Jesus makes clear that he's the way is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But here, isn't it really strange maybe for us? Jesus says, strive. Strive to make every effort. We must enter God's way. But strive Now, this door, there's no other doors, Jesus tells them here. There's no other doors. It's only through faith in Christ alone, and we must come to God through Jesus. We must enter God's way. There's no windows to hop through. There's nothing we can do in our own strength. It's not our religion or morality, but it's Jesus, the Messiah. We will not be pushed through the door as much as we would love to do that for people. We are to make every effort, though, it's not just a strange thing for Jesus to say. What's Jesus getting at? Well, Jesus is turning this question into a challenge. Strive. The Greek word here is agony, where we get the word agony from. So here it's, it's really like an athletic con- contest, making every effort, straining every muscle and sinew in our bodies, endeavoring with strenuous zeal and strife to do something it's no half-hearted effort, but a full-hearted effort. That's what Jesus is saying. Strive to enter through the door. Make a full effort to enter through me. And we think about making every effort. We can think of parents from the Olympic Games, couldn't we? We think of Sky Brown, maybe the skateboarder whose family made every effort to make her dreams possible, moving to California a Lauren Williams, who won the silver medal in taekwondo, her, her mom lived in a caravan with her for, for years so that she would make every effort and make it as possible for her to, to achieve her dream. But the best example is not parents making every effort, but individuals themselves. Like Helen Glover, the rower, retired, twins, decided, I'm going to have a go at it. She strived and strived and strived, trained and trained and trained to qualify. She made every effort. For herself, a daily battle to get up and to do. And for the Christian here today, that is the Christian life. To strive to enter through the door daily. Isn't it hard? To, it's a daily battle to get up and follow Jesus. To say, I'm going to do work Jesus' way. I'm going to do family life the way Jesus wants family life to be done. I'm going to react the way Jesus would want me to react. I'm not going to harbor enemies. I'm going to forgive them. That's hard. That's why Jesus says, strive for the Christian. He also says, strive for the the non-Christian, doesn't he? It's It's for both of us. Believer and not believer. We're not saved by good works, but for our good works. Our evidence of salvation is making every effort along the line. But this is a do or die resolution. Enter the narrow door. It's do or die. And not simply drift into this kingdom. It doesn't mean that our efforts to enter it merit our salvation. No, it's all of God's grace. But Jesus is pressing home to each of us our immediate duty, to enter him. It can be so easy to be swept away with the currents, of the tides of this world, taking us off our feet and carried along. And this is why Jesus says strive, because he knows it's so easy for us to drift. Don't be waiting around, seeing what others are doing, and then decide about what you're going to do about Jesus. Oh, are they serving Jesus or nothing? I'll oh, wait to see what they do. Don't follow the multitude of the world. They'll be carried along with it. We need to go with resolve, that by God's grace we go to him. The command before us is very clear: Strive to enter the narrow door. We are responsible for our exertion, how much effort we put in, but we are to be making every effort to be, be at Jesus' feet. We aren't to sit and let the world pass us by. We aren't to be sitting in sin, waiting for God to move us, expecting Him to do something when actually we have a responsibility to do something. We just can't wait around, sheltering ourselves, giving ourselves excuses. We must strive to enter. It's clear and unmistakable command by Jesus. Isn't the Christian faith so offensive to many? Why? Because it's a narrow door. It's a narrow door. It's no other door. It's a narrow door, and that offends many. It's only through Jesus that we can have life, and life eternal, and an abundant life. But imagine the Premier League kicked off this weekend. Imagine you could just score a goal anywhere. Anywhere. It'd be other chaos, wouldn't you? But there's a, a narrow goal in which you have to score into. It brings clarity. It's okay there. It's okay when you're on a plane and the pilot lands on the runway. Imagine they didn't do that. There'd be chaos. Matches would be chaos. And here, the narrowness of the Christian faith, it might be so offensive to many of us. It's the only way. You need to be striving to follow Jesus. Striving against sin. See, the word Jesus, Jesus doesn't use words by accident. It's just making every effort. Jesus knows the difficulty of following him. The passage to heaven is not through palace gates. This really humble posture of bringing our sin to Jesus and entering into him, that's our problem. It's our sin. We can do our best to make ourselves look good, living an upright life, but we need to strive to Jesus. We can claim to be on the right path, but it needs to be through this path of the narrow door. That's what lies behind it. We need to strive, agonize through this door. In the of the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 7, Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That's the world. And many enter through it. That's the world. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Narrow gate, narrow door. It's Jesus. We need to enter Jesus. We need to make every effort to come to him. We also need to, as we make every effort, we need to be quick to respond. We need to be quick to respond. So, why do we need to be quick to respond? Look at verse 25 with me. The master, so Jesus is is talking about a master now in his house. The owner of the house gets up and closes the door. So, again, Jesus is talking about himself. The door is shut. A time will come when the door will be shut, it will be too late. Once the door of life is closed, that's it. So you better hurry and believe now. A day will come when the door of mercy is shut. Where God's patience with you will have run out because you've had your time on earth. The door of the kingdom of God is narrow and difficult, but it will shut. This parable adds urgency to the whole situation, a bit like a couple of weeks ago, be ready. We need to be ready. Well, here, we need to enter the door before it's closed. You see, you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's good for someone today, but it's for each of us. As Jesus answers the question, he says, you, 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 you. You can read it in your own time. Jesus is is making it personal to each of us. We need to be quick to respond. There's many who do not enter Uh, or those who do not try until it's too late. There's a time limit on this. The doors will shut. You might be thinking, I'll postpone it to a more opportune time. I'll postpone to a more suitable time. Surely I can just return and knock on the door when time is up. But the door is not open forever. There's no other way to sneak in. There's no way I can bring you under my cloak in with me. Don't procrastinate or refuse to go in because if you refuse to go in now and the door is shut, you'll be left outside looking in. Earlier this week, I was able to go to the Super Cup final in Belfast. But just imagine, I turned up my ticket, went to the gate and entrance, and sat outside. You'd think I was mad, wouldn't you? how the ticket they get in? I can hear all this going on. But I just decided to sit outside. Yeah, people do that with salvation, don't they? They know it's on the inside. In fact, that's the picture Jesus uses for them. You see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the prophets, they're there, but you're not. You're on the outside looking in, but you could be in this banquet as it turns out to be later on. People do that with salvation, don't they? Kind of hang about. Hang about church but not actually committing to Jesus. Kind of like sitting on the front door step but not going in. We need to be quick about it. There's an urgency to this. This door will shut. We need to strive to enter Jesus quickly. We also need to know, and this is our, our, another point for us, we need to know Jesus, not just about Jesus. Know Jesus, but not just about Jesus. A number of years ago, Sarah and I were at a friend's wedding. And we were there for the, the service and the meal. And then guests, you know, whenever you could have a party afterwards, and guests would come and join later on in the evening. And we were chatting with friends and all. And then a girl came up to us and said, Well, David and Sarah, how are you? And to refer to Sarah, she, she knew exactly who the girl was, but I hadn't a clue. I hadn't a clue who this person was. But we, we talked, and i was happening to you, you don't really know who you're talking to. But as we talked, she was revealing more and more stuff about me. That makes sense. She knew I had studied chemistry. She knew where I had taught. She knew uh, when we got married. In fact, she knew what I was doing now. She knew I, who I. She knew so much about me; it was weird. She knew all about me. And it wasn't until much later on she talked about being somewhere at Clift where I met her once before and had a two-minute conversation. But she knew all about me. But tell me this. Did she know me? Did she know me? No. She knew all about me. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Whenever they're having this conversation, Jesus is dressing here in Luke's gospel, we need to know him, not just about him. It will not, be, it'll not matter how much we've heard Jesus preach before or how many times we've read God's Word. It will not matter uh, to, uh, to him if we just attend church if we know all these facts about Jesus, if we say we're a passing acquaintance with Jesus, if we just turn up to church whenever we feel like it, none of that matters. None of that carries any weight, nothing, zilch. We must know Jesus, not just know about him. So as Jesus tells them about these people in this house, as they knock on the door, they clearly have no relationship with the master who is Jesus. What does Jesus say? Well, in verse uh, 25, they knock on the door and they say, Open the door for us. Let us in. And Jesus answers, the master replies, I don't know you or where you come from. Okay, so what do they do next? They try to jog Jesus' memory, don't they? In verse 26, they say, Then you will say, We ate and drank with you. You know, Jesus, we were at that wedding you were at. We were standing in that street when, or on the, on the mount whenever you give that wonderful sermon. We were there whenever you taught in the temple and in the synagogues. But what does the Master Jesus say to them? I don't know you. You see, for them, it, it doesn't matter how often you heard Jesus preach. It was about knowing Jesus. It's much more than knowing about him. You can't claim to move in the same social setting as Jesus because that carries no weight You cannot claim to be part of a Christian family. That carries no weight. What carries weight is knowing Jesus. If you consider yourself to be one of God's people, but you don't know Jesus, you haven't come to that narrow door, you're deceiving yourself. Jesus says, I don't know you. And then what does he say after that in verse uh, 26, 27? Depart from me, workers of evil. You're not one of God's people. You're a worker of evil. And the reason we know Jesus is because he knows us. It's a matter of our hearts, isn't it? We can't inherit our salvation. We don't get our salvation based on uh, that we're Protestant or that we are relatively law-abiding or our faithful church attendance or how good Union Road's uh, faithfulness has been through the years in terms of God's word. Because the Jews, they have similar assumptions here. They know it all. They've had their heritage. They've had the generations of knowing God's Word. All their families were brought up into it, as it were. But they assumed, and it was fatal for them. It will be fatal for so many because you know all about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus. This door will close. know Jesus. Be united to Him. Trust in Him. What can we offer Jesus? Nothing but our sin. That's all we need to do. He died for us. That is why we have this narrow way, because of the cross, that we would have a way to the glories of heaven, that he would rise again, so that we would rise again and see him in all his glory and splendor, that he would be our Lord and Savior. That is knowing Jesus, saying sorry for our sin and trusting him in every part of our life. That's what the Jews weren't doing. They knew all about the Messiah, but they didn't know Jesus. Will there be a few saved? Let's see the answer. Jesus gets there eventually. Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. They might have their ideas. In verse 28, Jesus is quite clear. He indicates to them their ultimate kind of frustration and and disappointment that You'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and you will see Abraham, Isaac and, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. So they're not going to be part of it. So that's surprising for them, isn't it? Because they are expected to be in but actually they're going to be out. But what about us? What's what's happening? What, ooh, verse 29, isn't it wonderful? Is that all tribes, tongues and nations kind of talk? Isn't it? People from east, west, north, south will take their places at the feast. This the uh, feast of the Messiah where all nations will be uh, around God's table the Jews had reduced it to themselves but it's for all people oh, and words, their hope is in this the Jews ask the question but there's hope for us because we are the Gentiles entering in through this narrow door because we know Jesus what a surprise for the Jews listening on anticipating just to inherit they were so prideful weren't they They thought they knew better than anybody else. They thought they knew what everyone else thought. It didn't matter to them what anyone else thought. They were full of pride. They were full of their own wisdom, and they thought they knew what was best. Don't let that be you, thinking you know what is best. Come to the narrow door, Jesus. The narrow way is not hereditary, and it would be great if it would be for some of us, but it's not hereditary. It's spiritual. It's this relationship that we talk about so often from this pulpit of uh, with Jesus through faith. The entryway is narrow. It's offensive to so many in the world, but it's the only way, and it's the person of Jesus. The door might be narrow, but isn't God's kingdom oh so broad? Oh so broad that it has every person, every language. It'd be tragic, Israel to miss out on it, wouldn't it? They knew oh so much, but they didn't respond, so they did miss out. And wouldn't it be tragic for some of us online or here today to be oh so close, sitting at the steps of the narrow door, as it were, knowing all about Jesus, but not knowing Jesus? Just because you come along, just because there's a cultural affinity, just because you're part of an attending family, that's worth nothing. It's knowing Jesus. Entry means responding to Jesus. Trust Him to deliver us from our sin. Trusting Him in in day-to-day life. Not just mere contact with the believing community. Not just mere contact with church. But you have to know Him and experience that forgiving love of Jesus. One commentator says, outward contact with Jesus counts for nothing. What he desires is an inward response. Outward contact counts for nothing. Jesus wants our hearts. Without a response to Jesus, there will be outsiders. Without a response to Jesus, you'll be on the outside looking in, like me, if I didn't go into the match, just listening and seeing what was all going on. But if you do respond, what is there? Well, is that verse 29? There's a feast, there's a banquet. We're brothers and sisters from the Akdam people to Chinese to Afghan Christians to Iranians, all seated around God's table. We know how special communion is, but oh, how much more special is this, this banquet going to be in eternity? We are sitting with our brothers and sisters, with Jesus at the head of the table, and we are part of his kingdom because we have known him and we have the opportunity to enter through him. Be urgent, be quick. The door will shut, and you will miss out. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that way that you've opened up to us. God, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, Lord, for our sin acts as a barricade between ourselves and you. There's no way that we can overcome it. We we cannot earn it. We cannot build our lives to a, a suitable holiness. For, Lord, we are sinners. And, Lord, we offer nothing to our salvation but our sin. And, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts, that we would follow you daily, that we would strive to follow in your ways. And oh, Lord, for unbelieving folks here, at home, or even in our families, Lord, we pray that they would respond to Jesus before it's too late, that they would enter the narrow door, that they would not just know about church, not just know about Jesus, but they would know Jesus personally as their Lord and Savior. Lord, stir up their hearts as we thought about in Haggai midweek, stir up our hearts to respond to your word and to your son, Jesus. For in him we have hope, hope everlasting, and we have eternal riches to enjoy forevermore. And it is in the kingly name of Jesus we pray. Amen.